Welcome to Expo Paris, opinionated reviews and recommendations of exhibits around town. This week, Expo Paris visits the Niki de Saint-Fal retrospective at Grand Palais. I have to begin this episode with a general apology. The Niki de Saint-Fal retrospective has been at Grand Palais since September 17th of last year, and it closes on February 2nd, a week from today. I've been resisting the exhibit because I don't like Saint-Fal's work. But then, I don't like Jeff Kuhn's work, and yet I reviewed his retrospective shortly after it opened, and even visited the exhibit wanting my mind to be changed. Not so with artist, feminist, and provocateur Nikki de Saint-Fal. And if a woman doesn't give another woman the same priority as she does a man, then it seems Saint-Fal's life work isn't yet done. Best known for her series of nanas, giant, bulbous, bosomy, bouncing, beauties with tiny heads, Samphal's celebration of female power and femininity is everything I hate about being a woman. Rather, everything I hate about what I'm told to celebrate about being a woman. Embrace your curves, the power of the uterus, wear pink ribbons for breast cancer, hearts, flowers, babies, blah, blah, blah. While women celebrate Gaia in full moon drum circles, I'd rather be reading about particle physics. I need a bigger head than the nanas have for that. Niki de Saint-Fal was born to a bourgeois banking family in Nuit-sur-Seine. Her family relocated to New York, where she attended private schools and had access to high culture and society. Pretty enough to make the cover of Life magazine at the age of 18 and French Vogue at 21, she had it all. Education, money, looks, every advantage to marry well, have children, and carry on the family tradition. But Niki de Saint-Fal was not born a bourgeoisie in spirit, and, as so often happens with square pegs and round holes, something breaks. Saint-Fal eloped with her childhood sweetheart, bent on exploring the artistic life, but soon found herself married with children and caught squarely in the patriarchal trap she thought she was escaping. She suffered a nervous breakdown and was admitted to a mental hospital, where she was encouraged to paint as therapy, and where she first realized her true self as artist. The retrospective at Grand Palais begins with her early paintings in Assemblage. Her early piece, Landscape, one of the first paintings in the show, is a pretty literal expression of her state of mind at the time. A colorful terrain, splattered with paint and painter's tools, collides with a dark but starry sky in which a white painterly moon hangs. A paintbrush glued onto the moon slowly sinks to earth like a ladder descending. St. Fall is grounded in art, art as therapy. As the paintings and assemblage evolve in this room, they get bigger and bolder, but also darker, as though she's wrestling out her fears and elements of her own history onto canvas. A pivotal piece from 1960-61 is an assemblage of childhood things. Toys, games, stuffed animals rise up from the bottom of the canvas in an everything-that-rises-must-converge kind of way, like a volcano spewing the ephemera of childhood out of its belly, purifying and making room for something new. This piece acts as a nice portal to her violent series. More assemblage, but darker still. Nasty-looking tools, their sharp edges rusted and that much meaner, affixed to canvas in a two-dimensional nightmare. The works in this series, though, are also a kind of bridge. The elements of assemblage are so varied. It looks like she gathered them to her, almost like a magnet, collecting violence and chaos, and yet out of this are glimpses of joie de vivre, too, like Saint-Fal, even at this nascent stage, recognizes that life is all of these things together, as she searches for her level and her unique voice. 
Not so much a breakdown, then, than a breakthrough. Art is transformation. And indeed, the transformation is so thorough, it jumps off the canvas entirely and enters the realm of three dimensions. The next gallery features Samphal's brides, larger-than-life papier-mâché bodies draped in Ms. Haversham-like wedding gowns and veils. This is the beginning of Samphal's large bodies and small heads, but unlike the nanas, these bodies are square, angular, and covered in small plastic toys and ephemera. Plastic babies, farm animals, the occasional phallic airplane, as though the desires, instincts, and fears of women are bursting through the chests of these brides, even though the forms themselves are hollow inside. There is only one remaining example of Samphal's prostitute series, hung at one end of the room entitled Crucifixion. She shares the same emotional outburst as the brides, but she's more colorful and lively and sexual. Her genitals are actually bigger than her head. If you cross the room and turn around, the four brides here are positioned almost as handmaidens to the crucified prostitute, woman broken free of patriarchal expectations, oh, those sad, pale brides, and crucified for her sexual desires and freedoms. From the Brides Evolve the Monster Women, a brief passage Samphal makes on her way to creating the nanas. They are softer, almost purified, and displayed with the text of Simone de Beauvoir, who observed that one is not born, but rather becomes a woman. Samphal, in this brief period, is well on her way. By this time, thanks to her curiosity in current technology, her finger well on the pulse of pop art, and her experience with media as a model, Samphal has also developed Warholian-level skills at mastering and manipulating media to create a public persona and draw as much attention to her art as she can. Fully embracing the idea that there is no such thing as bad press, her next move was to make the biggest nana of all, called Hun, which was constructed for an exhibit in Sweden and that Samphal called the biggest whore in the world. She's a giant female form, prone on her back, and was built as an exhibition space that forced visitors to enter through the vagina. Making huge waves in the art world, an accompanying film giddily proposes that the sudden surge in babies the following year in Stockholm was a direct result of the Han experience. At this stage, too, Samphal has refined her nanas in their color schemes and bulbous shapes. A visit to Spain and an introduction to Gaudí now permeates her work, although the colors she chooses and graphics she employs are definitely brighter, bolder, grounded in pop art, rather than the Art Nouveau swoops and watery swirls of Gaudí. As the exhibit progresses, there's an increasing playroom feel to each room. An orange passage, a blue passage, all marking the artist's evolution, more joyful, more daring, larger until you get to the largest of the galleries. And here are the nanas in all their glory, giant and spinning and colorful. A group of nanas dancing reminds me of Matisse. Giant women line the walls, are suspended from the ceiling, dance on a film. Sunfall's paintings are displayed here as well, most of them visual poems like inspiration boards to her lover. It's touching and sweet to see Samphal subject to the strange mix of sophistication and adolescence that love reduces all of us to, ranging from tongue-in-cheek, my love, what shall I do if you die, to poignant, where shall we make love? The paintings are in neon pop colors and simple forms, and address love and desire and relationships so directly, they're like a precursor to Tracy Emmons' neon bon mot. 
While this gallery is the most joyous, here some fall is at her peak, and the display is sweet, I feel like I'm in a crib, like I'm being infantilized by these giant nanas, which seems like the opposite effect of what Samphal wants her work to do. Personally, I don't want to be mothered and smothered by these nanas. I don't want to feel like a little girl, and I don't see women as universal mother. Although now at least I get what Samphal is trying to say and how she got there. And to tell the truth, I actually kind of like the nanas when they're all in a room together. Happy, joyous, domineering women, as Samphal calls them. And that's true, they do seem happy and joyous, and they're so giant, they certainly are domineering. Ah, maybe it's not so bad being a woman after all. There's something wonderful in all that bouncing simplicity. The exhibit continues on to recreate Samphal's later work, her masterpiece The Tarot Garden, opened in 1998 in Tuscany, clearly influenced by Gaudí and much more playful yet calmer than all of her preceding work. Samphal in her maturity seems to have come to terms with her demons, made friends with them, and managed to disempower them while empowering herself. There is more Samphal on the ground floor where her shooting paintings and making of videos are on display along with more of her earlier work. Her struggles with her personal history, Samphal was raped by her father, are writ large in her depictions of men. They're violent and janiform as in the Kennedy Khrushchev assemblage piece. But her early assimilation and particular processing of the world around her and her genius and evolving message is evident in her larger assemblage pieces from the early 60s, such as her piece King Kong, which is massive and masculine and shocking for 1961 when it was completed. The videos of the shooting paintings are frankly more entertaining than the paintings themselves, although Samphal, still discovering her own identity as artist and rebelling hard, is a bit hysterical in them. Or maybe that's the effect of firing a gun, rather the ultimate phallic symbol. The retrospective is a great illustration of an artist's birth and evolution, the process of assimilating culture and environment, breaking it down and building something new. Overlooking some fall in favor of the flashier coons, as I did, only serves to underscore the very point that some fall's work strives to make, and dismisses her lifelong mission to be heard as loudly, powerfully, and joyfully as a woman as that of a man. I still don't like some fall's work, but it's just as important to see art we don't like, not only to understand why we don't like it, but to understand, and maybe learn to love, that part of ourselves that it reflects. Nikki de Saint-Fal is at Grand Palais, 3 Avenue General Eisenhower in the 8th arrondissement until February 2nd. That's all for Expo Paris this week. I'm Susie Colick from the American University of Paris. This is WRPS.